Welcome to episode 48 of the RSA Resident and Student podcast series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible, collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Jordan Powell, student at Xavier University of Louisiana and RSA Diversity and Inclusion Committee Vice Chair, speaks with Dr. Bernard Lopez, Department of Emergency Medicine Vice Chairman at Thomas Jefferson University Hospitals and member of the AAEM Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Today, Ms. Powell and Dr. Lopez discuss cultural competence and healthcare disparities. We would like to first thank Dr. Lopez for joining us today and taking the time out from his busy schedule to speak with us. My name is Jordan Powell and I serve on the RSA Diversity and Inclusion Committee. I have the honor of introducing Dr. Lopez today for a discussion on cultural competence and healthcare disparities. We are fortunate today to have the opportunity to pick the brain of a physician who has committed so much of his professional career to diversity and inclusion in emergency medicine. Just to inform our listeners who may not know Dr. Lopez and his accolades, we will just mention a few of many. He attended Jefferson Medical College of Thomas Jefferson University for medical school training. Currently, he serves as the vice chairman for the Department of Emergency Medicine for Thomas Jefferson University Hospital since 2012. He also serves as the associate dean for diversity and community engagement at Sidney Kimmel Medical College. Thank you, Dr. Lopez, and welcome. Great. Thanks, Jordan. It's great to be here. So cultural competence is defined as the ability of providers and organizations to effectively deliver healthcare services that meet the social, cultural, and linguistic needs of patients. We will discuss some of the current literature on healthcare disparities linked to minority status, as well as areas we can improve in and both small and systemic changes we can make to best serve all of our patients. In an excerpt from an article in an academic Emergency Medicine Journal published in 2009, it was stated that cultural competence and healthcare disparities are linked. Increased cultural sensitivity fosters better patient-doctor relationships and communication, and in turn may play a role in reducing observed healthcare disparities. Because minority groups disproportionately use the emergency department for many aspects of their care, the ED serves as an ideal venue to investigate strategies to reduce disparities and advance culturally competent care. In this article, three processes are proposed that may improve the quality of care delivered to minority populations. The first being to increase cultural awareness and reduce provider biases, enabling providers to interact more effectively with different patient populations. Second, to accommodate patient preferences and needs in medical settings through practice adjustments and cultural modifications. And lastly, to increase provider diversity to raise levels of tolerance, awareness, and understanding for other cultures and create more racially and or ethnically concordant patient-physician relationships. So Dr. Lopez, what are your thoughts um, of these three different processes and the reality of being implemented in the ED to improve quality of care delivery to minority populations? So it's interesting, that 2009 paper, so that's nine years ago that that paper was done. You could probably take that paper and just put 2018 on it, and many of the same concepts will hold. So when that paper lists those three methods, the the three items that need to be addressed, I fully agree with it. I agreed with it in 2009, and I agree with it nine years later. They're all important. You know, we all 
learn the science of how to take care of patients in the emergency department, but equally important is how do you take care of that whole patient? So all of the things that were mentioned in that paper, minority groups, health disparities that are associated with that, they all still hold true. So how are we going to make sure that each and every patient that we treat receives the best possible care that they can so that there are no health disparities? Well, it's making sure that we do the things like increasing cultural awareness, reducing provider biases. It's making sure that we accommodate patients, their preferences, because this is all about the patients, and it's really not about us so much as it is the patients. And then part of it, you know, is really increasing the diversity of the providers. It's, while it might be nice to think we could match the patient population, that may not be realistic, but it's certainly important that we have some kind of decent representation within our provider population. Why? They may understand better the patients that we see, they provide insight that many of us may not have as to how we might best care for patients. So I think all three of those processes are very important. You asked me about the reality of it being implemented in the emergency department. Well, I think to some extent this is being done. It is certainly being attempted. My overall opinion is Probably not enough, but certainly there's efforts that are being made in that general direction. So, yes, it's a reality. It's variable. It's not enough of a reality in many emergency departments. And it's something that simply just needs to be done if we're really going to provide that best care to our patients. And so you mentioned the different healthcare disparities. What do you feel that the current state of healthcare disparity is in the ED today? In 2018, what are some of the most common ones that you faced in your practice? Well, the current state is such that what was probably better than it was 15 years ago, I think there's more awareness of these issues. Certainly, there's a lot of literature that's out there. There's starting to get to be almost too numerous to count number of articles that demonstrate health disparities. That's in all of medicine. That's in the emergency department. It's fairly commonly known that if you are a woman who presents to the emergency department with chest pain, you're less likely to get an, the invasive procedure that you might need to give you the best care. If you're a black patient in the emergency department, you will probably wait longer than a person who is not black. So there's many, many of these studies that document that there are health disparities. So while I'd like to say it's better than it was 15 years ago, we aren't there yet. These disparities still exist in the emergency department as well as outside of the emergency department. So you spoke a little bit about how different healthcare disparities affect certain groups. How do you think cultural barriers affect or could impact diagnoses that are made in the ED? So on the surface, well, actually not on the surface, it's, that's actually probably a very complex answer. But to simplify it, when you said cultural barriers, if you just take away the word cultural and just use the word barriers, any barrier that prevents 
the proper transmission of information back and forth between a patient and a physician, a patient and the nurse, a patient and any healthcare provider, any barrier ends up leading to less than optimal information. How do we base our care? Well, we base our care on the information that we're able to receive from a patient, from a patient's family or friends. And if there's a barrier that's there, we work with even more incomplete information than we have in the emergency department. So think about it. If we don't have complete information, that could impact on whether or not we're making the proper diagnosis, whether we're giving the best treatment. Cultural barriers, they're fairly common, and it really goes down to the point of understanding and communication. Great. So next we want to make sure to discuss areas that we can improve in the future. Is there now any formal training in cultural competence offered in the ED, and do you feel that this training is beneficial? So I think formal training is variable. The answer to that is it depends on where you are. I'd love to think that every place has formal cultural competence training. The reality of it is it's likely to be very limited. There are some departments that do it well. There are probably many that haven't put as high a priority on it. So is it offered to all ED staff? The blanket answer would be probably not. Some do it better, some don't. Clearly, it's important. I'm certainly biased in that direction, but it's clearly important that all ED staff, and it's not just physicians or nurses or medical students, it's really all ED staff because each person has the, the likelihood of interacting with a patient. So are there any metrics reporting systems that are currently in place? And if not, do you see a place for that in the future for cultural competence training? So maybe not so much for cultural competency training. You know, if a place does cultural competency training, the measurement might be how many people attended. If the people who are in charge want to measure the effectiveness, it might be, you know, some sort of testing that's done afterwards to see, did the person learn? Did they retain the information? So There is probably some of that out there, but again, just like when we talked about even the existence of cultural competency training and education, it's likely to be quite variable. The easy answer is, is there a measure of how well we might do as healthcare providers in cultural competency? The easy answer is most places will have some sort of patient satisfaction measures. In the emergency department, that might be a survey such as Press Ganey. And within that, you might get some sense of how well was the patient treated? Were there any issues that related to positive cultural competency or maybe negative cultural competency? Awesome. Um, Just to wrap up, this is our last question for you. Um, What is the role of representation among healthcare providers? And what do departments do to recruit providers and staff of multiple minority backgrounds? So I think representation is, and, and when we talk about representation, we're really looking at making sure that there are enough people within a department. We'll just use the emergency department as an example. Making sure that there are enough people from different backgrounds, different ways of thinking. You know, when I think of diversity and inclusion, 
the first thought might be, well, let's look at the number of underrepresented minorities, perhaps the number of sexual minorities. That is the common way to look at diversity. And that is certainly a big part of diversity. A bigger thought is that they are part of the diversity that we need to have to be able to examine a problem, an issue with many different lenses. So I think representation is important. I think that having, for instance, healthcare providers that are reflect some of the community, somebody who is like the people in the community because I think they have a better chance of understanding the patients that we take care of. It allows us to then put into practice certain, well, put into practice certain practices that best address the needs of those particular populations. Representation among healthcare providers is also important. It's for mentorship guidance because you want to have role models for certain groups of people so that they too can develop and continue this representation. And ultimately, I just think that having a diverse staff means that you're going to be better prepared to care for all of the needs. I'm going to give you just one example. You know, I'm not in the minority. My background is I'm not in the minority. I'm not from a minority group. I'm a male. I'm not in the minority that way. So for me to think that I can know exactly what a person who is in the minority needs, well, I just think that that's not the right thing to do. I can say I know the facts, but I may not fully understand. So it's important that we have other people who can think of those other things because that's how we can best care for our patients. Well, Dr. Lopez, we thank you so much for taking the time out with us and to provide your expertise in the matter of cultural competency, how we as physicians and providers can further improve our cultural to effectively deliver healthcare services that meet the social, cultural, and linguistic needs of our patients. It is important that we shift the conversation from tolerating these differences to embracing them and from support to solidarity. Again, thank you. We appreciate you so much for coming out today. I agree with what you just said, and thank you for having me. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about RSA, please visit our website, www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.